are listening to Rogue Table Talks. Here's Mike. And here we are once again. It's Mike and Chad back with you. Rogue Table Talks number 123. Number 123. 123. 123. Everybody's password. 1234. 1111. No, mine's 5555. 5555. Nobody would be dumb enough uh, to have that. Um, yes, uh, so here we are. Um, continuing in our rogue table talking uh continuing in our, our journey in galatians uh it's uh it's sort of a fall morning it's like chilly it's like yeah. uh it's uh i don't think it's you know fall tends to tends, tends to waver uh around these parts might be hot in a day or two who knows there's, there's probably still a couple 90 degree days yeah, waiting there's to still be some hot ones yeah. Uh, but I kind of like it. I like the fall. There's a there's a bit of a a, a difference of opinion uh, here in the operations office. Uh, some people are bummed the first hint of cool weather. What? Because there's summer people, mm. and some people are like fall is the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. People have strong feelings about fall. Strong feelings. Uh, oh. I've always enjoyed fall. I think I mm-hmm. always liked going to school. So I always kind of enjoyed school. So going back to school was fun exciting i mean it didn't mean every moment of school you liked but the idea that we're starting something new every september Mm -hmm. i don't know that's kind of something i grew up i I loved it as well and i I love um cool weather where you got to put a sweatshirt on or a light jacket and Mm -hmm. i love that transition and i it's reminded me of uh you reminded me of uh that tom hanks meg ryan movie you've got mail don't you just love New York in the fall? You got Don't sharpening you pencils and school supplies, and it's this. It is. It's like mm-hmm. school supplies and backpacks, and that's right. Everything's new and fall. Yep. Yeah. Everything's new. Yep. Yes. Yes, indeed. That's where we are. Uh, we have a new a new podcast for you. A new there fall podcast. New crisp <laughs> fall autumnal rogue table talks. Uh, number one, uh, two, three. And, uh, you know, you can find us uh, on com and, and uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever if, you haven't, if you're not already a subscriber. Um, I mean, people say rate and review, but that's great if you want to rate and review. It's not, we're, we don't have any advertisers, so I'm not sure what it does for us other than, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but if you have a question for us, you can email at rtt at roguetabletalks com and we will we will entertain your question or concern or thoughts uh, on this topic or any other uh, mm-hmm. here we are for your for your uh, consideration the rogue table talks hosts here to answer your questions give, so we're gonna look something at good give us something, yeah give us something good you know yeah give us a hot but, topic juicy controversial right. we like that right not trivial yeah no. Trivial podcast, you know that's not us. Trivial questions go to other. Podcast. No, yeah. Um, okay, so we are in Galatians two, and Paul is talking about the gospel, talking about their receiving the gospel there in Galatia, and how they've he's concerned because they appear to be 
going to another one, and then he's talked about sort of the authority of the gospel message that he gave to them. Uh, and so then here in chapter two, a couple of things are happening. And let me just read uh, the first part uh, of that of this passage, and uh, we can talk about what's going on. Uh, if you want to look at, let's say, Galatians 2, 11 through 14, uh, we read this. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, the apostle, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Um, so what are your thoughts on what's what's happening, what the situation is, what's going on? What's going I, on? Here? Well, at first, I, it cracks me up because the first line, when Cephas came to Antioch, like, does he not call him Peter on purpose? Like, instead <laughs> of dig at it. And then he says, I opposed him to his face. I just imagine Paul writing the letter and he writes this part and then he kind of stands up, shadow boxes a little bit. And, you know, I opposed him to his face. To his face, I opposed him. <laughs> Cephas. I opposed you to your face. <laughs> See face in your face. Because <laughs> he was condemned. Yeah, so, I mean, this is uh, this is Paul's challenge with what's going on in Galatia. Uh, the circumcision, non-circumcision, then Jews coming from from James, so from Jerusalem, and James is the leader of the church, the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and uh, Peter's, you know, apparently connected to that somehow, and he's out with Paul, or, or he's in Galatia, and when Paul's there, he's he's eating, you know, he's eating with the Gentiles, he's associating, which meal sharing was a sign of friendship, acceptance, uh, it wasn't just it's identifying with them, yeah, yeah, well, and it's, I mean, you know, maybe even partially like a like a middle school lunchroom. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if someone lets you sit at their table, they're willing to put mm -hmm. their reputation with you. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that, you know, then these, these influential, you know, leaders from James come and then Peter is afraid. So I think that's something to talk about. He's afraid of, of what they'll think of him or what they'll say to him or something. And so he, he goes, now he doesn't sit with the Gentiles anymore and he leads others astray and so, you know, Paul Paul calls him out. Yeah, so he Paul calls him out, <clears throat> not because necessarily he's making a, you know, generic garden variety mistake. He's making, he's, he's in a sense making a mistake that misrepresents what the gospel is. And that's the issue at hand yeah. uh, there at the church, that you don't have to live like a Jew in order to be, uh, a believer in Christ. Uh, the first group of people who follow Christ were all Jews. Like most people in the New Testament that we know by name are Jews. They were mm -hmm. part of God's people of Israel. They accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. They began to follow him. And they had customs and practices they grew up with, some of which they continued, uh, probably, um, to some degree. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, and, you know, when people who were, didn't have that heritage became followers of Christ, 
uh, how are they supposed to live and how do, what does the law you know work and how does all that work uh, that was one of the questions at hand and uh, you know Paul was saying you don't have to follow the law to be a believer uh, that it's by grace through faith and we'll get to that in a minute and then Paul or Peter seems to sort of send the signal of it's not okay to sort of eat with your Gentiles when the Jews are here because I'm afraid of what they'll think. So I'm going to do that. And that's that hypocrisy is more than just social pressure. It says something about the gospel that Paul wants to correct. Well, and that's, you know, I think, you know, could we talk a little bit about this is why trying to, you know, a bigger picture for us, we're not dealing with circumcision, uncircumcision, but we are dealing with, our identity in the gospel impacts potentially how we view other people, how we live alongside other people. Like one of the reasons Paul's so upset is this is not a uh, doctrinal discussion in a vacuum. You know, this there's not there's not philosophers arguing about what's what's right or wrong. This is like, hey, these Christians have now been significantly impacted by your actions, Peter. Like, because you thought this, or you're afraid of that, these Christians are now, you know, this this had a, a negative impact on them, you would mm-hmm. assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you're, you're it's, it's a real live conversation, how you flesh mm-hmm. out what you think about God, and mm-hmm. who who's in and who's out. Right. And so it's this, and maybe Peter just didn't want to deal with friction from sure. people from Jerusalem or whatever. You know, it's not necessarily that, that Peter's theology was wrong, perhaps, but his actions betrayed. And so it's kind of the question that I would have for us is, you know, we're not going to be in exactly that situation, but that's true for almost every situation in Scripture. Um, but we probably are able to, in a functional way, betray the truth of the gospel by our actions in some ways, right? That's yeah. which is yeah. basically what Paul's saying Peter's doing. Um and so I wonder what are some ways we might um, betray the truth of the gospel uh, and, you know, how perhaps, you know, I think we're maybe more susceptible to that than we might think. And I do think associating and who we will or won't associate with, which is the issue here, is probably some way that we, like, we want to get away from believers who have a slightly different belief or a slightly different practice when those aren't essential to the gospel, which is the situation here, right? Well, I mean, I mean, there's probably a few, a lot of, lot of different ones. I mean, you have, do the conservative Christians um, become friends with the liberal progressives uh, right. with, with, you know, them rejecting the authority of the scripture or, do uh, do you as an Orthodox Christian befriend someone with different sexual values than you, different sexual practices? And are you afraid of what people will think if you are their friend? And, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, yeah. you know, do you, you know, so, and being their friend, you, I don't know, you go to dinner, you start to associate right. with them. And what, right. what do people think about? You go to their house. Yeah, so when you're too when you're afraid of what people will think and that restricts who you associate with <clears throat> uh, that you know your missional reach everything is sort of cut back by 
you know, you fully living as an ambassador and loving all people uh, in the direction of the kingdom. And, you know, it's easy to say that, and it's easy to see that Jesus did that. But, well, what will so-and-so think if I do thus and that? Or what will so-and-so think if I go to this person's party? Or what will so-and-so think if I like this person's Facebook post? Or so on. Those are the sorts of things that functionally betray uh, potentially the gospel, if that's why I'm doing it. Uh, Because, of course, it doesn't mean we don't live in a world where we get cooties from other people's, you know, beliefs. So we can love other people and have differences and perhaps be curious about differences and how did you get to this place and let's talk about it, which is how we would have influence on anyone. And to withdraw is to lose influence. And so, you know, one of the reasons I think the church is not as influential as it could be is we tend to withdraw and we're sort of afraid of getting cooties from the people that we're called to love. Um, And I think there's a similar betrayal of the gospel for us there than is what's going on here with Peter. I think there's probably, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's some issue for some people. I think there's another, there's a, a political gospel, you know, where our gospel is now highly politicized in the sense mm-hmm. of this tells me that all of these issues with this political party and this candidate, this is biblical truth, and, and both right. sides do this, right and left, and right. therefore everyone else is wrong, and so you can misrepresent the gospel by making it so political. I'm not saying it doesn't speak to issues and you should be thoughtful with how you vote and all that stuff, but it's like we're going to go to this church because they are XYZ on yeah. You know, and they and they talk about it. They're not afraid to talk about it. They're right. not afraid to say those are the bad guys. And so Yeah, and I think that's uh it is that's the truth. I mean, that's we do subdivide politically, or and we associate with people typically <clears throat> that are you know it's it's difficult, and sometimes you know we might uh, might be afraid of what people think if we don't associate or if we do associate with people who have different political beliefs. I was reading an article the other day, um, and it kind of goes to you know what it means to be an evangelical in in our world, and you know the the. Latest statistics are that uh, about 40% of people who self-identify as evangelical go to church yearly or less. So in other words, these people who are self-identifying as evangelical don't go to church. So what does that mean to them? Well, it's largely, it's socio-cultural political. It, it's, a, it's a label that means something to them about their identity, but it's mostly a political, cultural identity. It doesn't have anything to do with living on mission with God's people and being transformed and all of that stuff. Uh, and so that's kind of, that sort of speaks to, it, you know, when we subdivide in those ways, we're functionally betraying the gospel because that's not what the gospel is. And if, you know, if we're a church that doesn't... Um, make it safe for people to have different political views, then we're essentially withdrawing like Peter did to only eat with the like-minded people Mm -hmm. uh, because we don't want to deal with what they'll say if we, even if we don't believe that, if that's what we're doing, just to sort of 
get by. Uh, so I do think the betrayal that Peter displays here of the gospel that Paul calls him out on is something that we can and do replicate, and it's common uh, in some ways. Yeah, I, I agree. Are you going to talk about, um, I think you had something on leadership, and I think that's a good conversation about Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, it's this is a, uh, there's a, a, you know, demonstration here that Peter was is fallible, <clears throat> that he's an apostle. He obviously makes a mistake, and and uh, Paul obviously calls him out on it, and uh, that's just a statement of the fallibility of all humans and all leaders, and that the apostles were not infallible, but you know when they composed scripture, God superintended it so that the scripture can be inerrant, even though fallible people are involved in producing the scripture. Uh, and it doesn't mean that everything Peter and Paul and John and anyone anyone else said, you know, if they said it was going to rain tomorrow, it doesn't mean that it was going to rain. I mean, they're they're fallible per people. But when they wrote scripturally, you know, what made it into the canon has been superintended by God to be God's message, God breathed. Uh, and it's just important to wrestle with all leaders are fallible. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I think we typically look at Peter in, in the Gospels and we're like, yeah, he gets it wrong quite a bit. But I don't know if we look at Paul like that. You know, I don't know if we look at Paul's act. Paul's a fallible person. His writings are inerrant, but but he everyone's up for review as as leaders because of our sinfulness. And Paul wasn't perfect, and some argue that he made a mistake in Acts with Barnabas, that he shouldn't have parted mm-hmm. ways. Right, that's right. And... You know, so uh, we don't have and that's, a whole that's lot of left money. open, right? That's left open it's to left the open. interpretation. It certainly could have yeah. been a mistake. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have a whole lot of other evidence, and that's not the point. Is to roast Paul, but the point is, like you're saying, uh, every all the apostles were imperfect people, and so you know maybe James James is subject to some critique here because he's got influential people. They're coming down, and they don't seem to correct Peter themselves. Right, you know, you have yeah. you have multiple right. layers of influence and authority yeah. here. You have these right. Jews coming down, and they're obviously right. quote unquote influential, right? But they, but they kind of lead Peter astray, so to speak. Yeah. Peter, right. Peter has takes responsibility, but so and the church, there's, there's this, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just think the church had to settle this in Acts 15. They had to all get together and get on what is, you know, and again, it's partly. People from Jerusalem who became Christians just had this muscle memory cultural way of living. They just assumed, I mean, it's just the way we do a lot of things. You just kind of live, this is the way I grew up living. So you don't necessarily re-examine everything about your life. And so they came down and uh, they're sort of representing that lifestyle. And maybe it wasn't an intentional thing or maybe it wasn't all worked out. Uh, but it was it was an error and, uh, and it, we needed... Uh, we needed the church to kind of work it out in a sense canonically. And what we have in scripture is that process of, like you said, I mean, it's certainly true of every old Testament. I mean, Moses certainly was fallible. I mean, we, I mean, there's, you know, all of them uh, uh, have, have their issues and that's just all of our leaders are fallible. So we need grace for everyone and we need the scripture to, uh, put alongside our leaders' pronouncements so that we can live faithfully. And 
did you want to talk about the intersection of fallible leadership with the other not as popular podcast as ours that's going on right now? Oh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they got yeah. a few listens, but we, I mean, we obviously have way more listens. Right. We're we yeah, we dwarf them in importance. <laughs> but that's uh, a conversation around leadership and, and fallibility. I think it might take a different turn. So. so. Well, hundred percent. I mean, I think one of the tensions of that situation that's revealed in the podcast is obviously Mark Driscoll is the object of that podcast and the Mars Hill church in Seattle. And he was pretty flawed. And at the same time, real fruit was uh, on display that both of those, that God used a deeply flawed guy to do a lot of real thing to bear real eternal fruit. We had a discussion last week as a staff about the podcast, our, our cultural discussion, and we have a staff member who went there for two years during that tenure, lived in Seattle, and said, you know, a lot of, you know, the, you know, the podcast is upsetting, and they were, of course, upset before they listened to the podcast because they knew about a, a bunch of stuff. But they said <clears throat> those, you know, two, two and a half years is the, was the most spiritually transformative of their lives. Yeah. And that's the tension. Right. Is yep. that in a sense, it isn't just that God used, hey, God used a fallible leader in this case. It's that God always uses fallible leaders because that's well, all there is. Other, yeah, yeah, I often just say, you know, what other choice does God have? You know, there is no other choice. I, I don't know. And I, I do think we have anybody. to. Well, I, I don't <laughs> know anyone who's not flawed i don't know anyone in leadership who doesn't have right. um you know uh, i say significant i don't mean to the point of driscoll but but everyone's got challenges and weaknesses and pride and sin and i just it's just gonna happen yeah 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 and i think that's the reality of that is in one sense obvious but we want to live as though our our leaders are infallible and, and we can trust them, you know, totally uh, when that, that isn't always necessarily the case. Um, let me, uh, let me look at uh, a couple of uh, verses beyond that, just a little bit farther down in this passage. Um, and as we examine the gospel a little bit more, um, if we look at uh, starting in verse 15 of Galatians 2, uh, we read that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And I think, you know, Paul is here is talking uh, about Peter and all the other believers from Jerusalem. <clears throat> um, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So this is the, like the first half of the gospel message, and it's it's emphasized and emphasized and emphasized that you're not justified by works, you're justified by faith, uh, and that's repeated multiple times. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of says it over and over again. And um, so what do you make of the the emphasis on the emphasis there that, uh, you know, the idea seems to die pretty hard and Paul has to kind of keep saying it. Um, 
So what do you, th what is the emphasis? What does his emphasis tell us? You think? Uh, well, I mean, I think, <laughs> uh, I think he, this is Paul's main point, you know, potential apex of this chapter, but also potential, the letter, like, look, mm -hmm. there's no way someone can gain grace by God by doing something. And this, that's not a gospel of good news. So leveling, uh, I, even before Acts 15 and, um, counsel with Jerusalem, but, but leveling this notion that someone could be circumcised and it's faith in Christ and, you know, this and this and that and this. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that's pr probably, he, he probably got there a lot quicker mm -hmm. potentially because of his background and conversion. I don't, mm -hmm. I think other people, it took a while to get that, but, um, yeah, he wasn't going to compromise on that. So you have this tension, kind of, of the gospel, and it's the tension of the whole letter, because you have people wrestling with this, uh, you know, is all there is to it is grace by faith, kind of a thing. Uh, and you, you, we kind of get this sort of first half is, yes, you can't do anything more to get any more grace. There's nothing you can do to qualify you more. There's nothing you can do to qualify you last by works of the law, justification doesn't come that way. It comes because we believe. We believe Jesus by faith, by grace, by God's grace. And I think part of the tension is, and, and you know, we see this, uh, let me just quickly finish the passage and then we can, I can finish the thought. <clears throat> uh, Verse 17, but if in our, if in our en endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And uh, you kind of see Paul, you know, continuing the thought here. And on the one hand, you know, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again. The law can't justify you. That it's by, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's by believing in Christ Jesus. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's God's grace through faith. On the other hand, it seems too good to be true. And that's sort of the, is that it? And so, and I do think we wrestle with that now, that this is the truth of the gospel. And yet it seems like, oh, so then that's all I need to do. And then I can just do whatever I want. I can live the life I want to live. And Paul will then continue in this passage and say, well, that's, that's half of the, the truth. The other half is, uh, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I'm no longer bound to the law, but I'm now bound to God through Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not, it's not my life anymore. It's Christ's life in me. And the life I'm now living in the flesh every day, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. Uh, my righteousness comes uh, through 
Christ, and if not, he died for no purpose. But now that I have this, I now have this life of, I've been crucified. It's, no, it's, it's his life now. I live for him. I'm a, I'm part of his family for his purposes. I'm now a, a servant of the king. And Paul can on the one hand say, there's nothing I can do to, to gain anything. And then on the other hand, he can call himself a bond servant that I willingly, yeah. because I have grace, I now live a life of serving the king. And I think we don't always put the two halves together. Well, I think that's true. I, I, and the framework I tend to think through it with is, let's just say that the error of the Jews in the New Testament was legalism. The error, you know, so Paul is saying we need to apply this this aspect of the gospel to this, you know, let's just say it's just also symbolic of two halves of people. You know, like if I have a legalistic side applying the gospel of no, 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 I can't, you know, I can't even repent hard enough to earn God's grace. I can't, when I sin, I can't feel guilty enough. I can't beat myself up. I can't, you know, go to church enough. Or get, like there's this medicine of the gospel that applies to that ailment. Um, but the, the error of the Gentiles, and you'll hear other conversations from Paul in other letters, the error of the Gentiles would be kind of antinomianism or anti-law. Uh, you know, and what if that represents another side of us or, you know, a bent that we might have, which is I'm been set free. I don't have, I just, I'll live however I want. Right. And you have to right. apply this medicine of the gospel to this. Like, no, 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 that's actually not, that's not good for you. And the gospel is mm -hmm. good for you. That's not helpful for you. That's a path of self-destruction and the gospel aims at your life and flourishing. So it, it really also, you know, when you get, when you're younger, you you don't tend to you tend to think black and white and dualistically when you get a little bit older you have to nuance these things because you're still dealing with well what does the conversation lend itself like which aspect of the gospel do we need to apply to this and it's not so mm -hmm. simple as we're saying like to this point here he's speaking to the Jews you guys are missing it he's not talking to the gentiles at this point right he's saying you mm -hmm. guys you can't be justified by works you got to get right. this but later on in other letters, and he'll talk to the Gentiles and say, don't go backwards into your paganism. Don't use your freedom to to a license for lust or, or whatever right. it is. Right. right. You're saved to be a new person in a new community, in a new family, with a new identity, with a new mission. Don't betray all of that. Don't use your freedom to betray all of that. Live, live in that identity. That's what he's saying here. A life I now live. I live by faith. I've been crucified with Christ living in me. And, uh, you know, one of the, and, and I do think we do stress freedom uh, a lot, uh, um, and, and rightly so, but I do think we can, if we don't include this part, then it seems freedom for our, freedom in our American, you know, 21st century context is, means I can do what I want. And freedom biblically means I'm free from the the constraints of having to fulfill the law because I can't yeah. do that. So I'm free from that, that those chains, you know, bound me and I don't have that bondage anymore. There's a passage. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite passages. It's very rarely preached on. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Luke 17, uh, seven through 10, where Jesus says, 
Will any of you, any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And, you know, it's Jesus saying that that's who you are. I mean, you're, you know, don't expect like bonus points for for fulfilling the work of the kingdom. Like you're not saved by by merit and you, after you're, you know, you don't gain more merit by serving. You are a servant of the king. You're mm-hmm. called to serve. It's who you are. Don't expect some sort of whatever. Uh, you know, God doesn't owe you anything. He's given you grace. He's given you a new identity. We are called to serve him. And I just think that's a pretty foreign... Con- like, I don't really have standing to say, no, I'm not going to be part of God's mission. No, I'm not going to give. No, I'm not going to be transformed. No, I'm not going to love people who are difficult. I mean, I have the ability to do that. I can't I'm not, can't be made to do that. But I am saved for that purpose and... That's actually true freedom when I begin to be transformed to live that way. Like, well, it really, possible. there's, there's, yeah, there's freedom. There's, um, the, the, like the ideal of freedom that I don't, I can't do anything to be loved anymore and nothing I do is going to make me loved any less. So I'm, I'm free and that should be a landing spot for yep. all of us. We're free. Right. But then there's this existential sense of freedom and conformity to the proper rhythms of God, conformity to the, the you know, the way the wood, the grain of the wood of creation runs, mm-hmm. like cooperating with that mm-hmm. and who God has called us to be, that really actually brings true freedom. I, I know it sounds so counter, well, it is counterintuitive because it's counter to what we really want. But the more we surrender and the more we die to ego and the more we come under God's reign, we enlarge we get bigger we get bigger lives we actually become more loving people and more compassionate people and that's freedom that's what freedom is that's right all right well let's land it there that's what freedom is uh and so we are we are saved by grace through faith uh let us live lives that don't betray that in ways that are subtle and unsubtle uh and yet also let us live as christ uh, as those as Christ is crucified as we, as you know we're, our life is now the life Christ is living in us for his purposes uh, and in that we find not only freedom but we find purpose meaning identity uh, peace uh, and transformation uh, and so with that live that life go in grace and peace thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and on our YouTube channel. Just search Rogue Table Talks.